You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents A Community Affair, a weekly program where we discuss with national and local newsmakers important issues that impact our community. And now, here's your host, WGLS-FM Public Affairs Director, Sam Whalen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Community Affair. My name is Sam Whalen, uh, your Public Affairs Director, and I'm joined today by the author of New Jersey's Lost Piney Culture, Mr. William J. Lewis. How are you doing today, William? Hey, Sam. Good to be here. Thank you. That's fantastic. So just to start off, why don't you give the audience a little bit of a background on yourself as an author and as a member of the Pinelands culture? Uh, as an author, I, I guess I'm an a accidental author. Uh, didn't grow up to want to be a, an author. Uh, but uh, my my writing journey really started when I met a young a couple in uh, Florida in 2018. I was bird watching um, at a, a, on a work trip to Sweetwater was the name of the park. And the couple got me really thinking about my roots and where I grew up in the Pine Barrens. I'm from the Pine Barrens originally. Um, and then it led me on to writing a book about the New Jersey Pine Barrens called New Jersey Lost Piney Culture. Um, and from there, second book will be coming out in March. I'm working with uh, Stockton University to get that published. So tentatively, I think it's called uh, Piney Joe's Adventures Exploring the New Jersey Pine Barrens. So I'm very excited about that. It's more of a young adult book versus the history book that was the first one. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, um, I'm in the process of, you know, I was reading through it for research for this, and uh, it's extremely informative. I lived in South Jersey my whole life. I'm from Gloucester Township, and uh, I never really knew that much about the Pinelands. Like, I knew they existed, or the Pine Barrens, rather, sorry. Um, I knew they existed, and I've driven through them before, but I never really was familiar with the culture, and I think the book does a great job sort of exploring that and, and informing people, both of the, the darker aspects of the history and the more positive community-based aspects as well. Yep, I totally agree with that. So for this past June, um, we celebrated, I guess we really didn't celebrate, but uh, 108 years ago in June, um, national news in the Boston Transcript um, was our governor at the time, Governor Fielder of New Jersey, saying that uh, New Jersey degenerates, the people of South Jersey, those pineys need to be segregated and sterilized. And that only happened and that was national news on a Saturday night. So it wasn't like it was a slow news night on a Wednesday or something. Um, that was a, only 108 years ago. So it's, it's very relative to today's times where we're talking about uh, America being so diverse, such a, such a melting pot, more so than ever before, um, and how labeling people um, pretty much to a degree of the population, um, ignorance, you could call it, uh, but that label eliminates that people's culture just by labeling them that. And there is tr tradition and culture in every single um, entity on earth, you know. Absolutely. I th and that was, that was sort of what struck me about it was the, the governor that you mentioned, that was his, his uh, hatred for these people was part of his campaign platform. And he used it 
as a way to garner votes. And I just thought that that was astounding because it was it was so and obviously we're looking at it from a, you know, a 21st century perspective, but it was such a, a stark difference to, you know, to just blatantly come out and say that and and to be lauded for it was astounding to me. He was very successful, right? He got reelected. Um, the previous uh, governor of New Jersey, uh, uh, forgetting his name now, but that governor went on to be president. So that vacated that position. Um, but prior to that, in that same time frame, um, New Jersey had a law in the books to say that uh, that um, sterilization was legal. And it got challenged a couple of years later and was the first law ever to be challenged and uh, rebuked and um, calling it illegal to actually be able to sterilize people. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's it's horrifying. Honestly, it really is. So when you're when when you're in the process of writing the book, and you know you were looking at these extremely heavy real world things of dealing with eugenics and sterilization, how do you balance that as an author of recounting the facts, no matter how how dark they might be, but also bringing in some of that positivity and and community aspect that comes from the Pine Barren culture? Well, so I mean, I guess the long story short of it, right, is you know that first the genesis of me actually being able to write a book um, and why I would want to take all that time and energy because it's not a very, um, unless you're a New York Times bestseller, it's not a million dollar enterprise. Um, so it's a lot of work for whatever effort that you're putting into it, um, the enjoyment of it. But um, so I read John McPhee's book, The Pine Barrens, a very national known uh, book, a national bestseller. Um, I give it credit. My opinion is save the Pine Barrens at 1.1 million acres. Uh, Mm -hmm. But in that book, when I read that book, I thought he really painted the people that I knew to be Pineys in a negative light, even though um, he was more talking about the landscape and and the environment and stuff like that, that uh, I didn't really appreciate. And I was like, you left out a lot of stories that I know that are kind of funny. Uh, so I started to write the book, right? And I actually have a, you know, in the writing process, you always want to have ARC readers or advanced readers. Um, and when I sent out the rough draft to a group of people, you know, several came back and said, do you really want to dwell on the issue of eugenics and the history of the word piney in the very beginning of the first few chapters? Because um, it was very dark history. And I had to really look at that and say, because... You know, growing up in the Pine Barrens, I really never even heard the word piney before. Um, it wasn't referenced to my family. Uh, just doing my research, figured out that, hey, I'm a piney too. Um, and there's a different meaning to the word piney back then as it is today. It's kind of progressed just like a re- the rest of America. But I wasn't, you know, never really knew that there was a negative connotation to the word piney or the piney itself. We were just people of the pines. You know, we lived where we lived and we did what we did. Uh, to get by. But uh, his book, you know, opened my eyes to the fact that there was some negativity to that. So that's part of the history. So if I don't share that history, and I'm have, I have a book that ultimately, when you close the book, you should be able to define what a piney is, and what a piney was. Um, if you don't start from the beginning, with the dark history, you really don't get an appreciation for what the pineys have went through, for the past 108 years or more. Um, and today in circles still, people you know that go through the pines to go from North Jersey to the shore, they'll still be telling their kids 
look out, there's a piney over there and he might get you. And so that stereotype, that negative stereotype, that craziness is still there today. So I, I want people to understand where it came from. I wanted it not to be just simply about the dark history, but about what I knew of the places, of the love of certain places and of the cedar water and uh, the things that we did on the plain pulling pine cones and how proud we were of the traditions that we did and the work that we did. Uh, if we only say that type of piney uh, is the only ones that can claim the title piney, those pineys can no longer do what they did before. And it's, it's I kind of go into uh, 10 different types of pineys to really take that dark message in the beginning of the book and become a very, not divisive, but actually um, all-encompassing, giving people even if they just came from Staten Island, they've been in the Pine Barrens for a year, living, retired, and they've just fell in love with the topophilia, you know, the love of the land, um, how the pine trees look all year long, evergreen, uh, the creeks and fishing and hunting and stuff like that. And they appreciate the culture. They've become a type of piney. Um, not necessarily the one that Bill Watsovich was pulling pine cones back in the day and, and raking sphagnum moss, but they are entitled to the title, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's really a beautiful thing. You know, the the community, the way you present it, seems like it's very welcoming, right? That you can, you don't necessarily have to grow up here. You can come here and you can fall in love with the land, and you know, you can get that beauty as long as you can take in that that majesty of the of the area. Then you can be, you know, like you said, just a kind of piney on your own. I think that's a really beautiful thing for the community and for people that that might be intimidated of, well, I I wasn't born there. So maybe I, I can't, you know, find my place here, but it seems like you, anybody really can. Right. And it's the proverbial cowboy hat. Everybody that puts on a cowboy hat all of a sudden has a very Southern draw when they're speaking. Right. Um, the Pine Barrens is that there's so much to love in the Pine Barrens. It's, there's 56 different municipalities within the Pine Barrens. Um, one of our mantras for my uh, Facebook page, Piney Tribe, um, is Piney Tribe from the forest floor to the salty shores. The Pine Barrens goes all the way from the deep woods of Chatsworth all the way out to uh, Edwin B. Forsyth National Wildlife Reserve in the, in, the, in the beach, Tuckerton Seaport Museum. You have everything in between. Um, and it's like 20% of the, uh, you know, the acreage of New Jersey is the Pine Barrens. It's huge. And it's, it, you got, what's not the love, right? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. When I was in uh when I was in high school, I had a, a history professor and he was he was very into the outdoors. And he would always tell us, you know, you might think you live in the suburbs of New Jersey because most of us did, but he said, you know, you've got multiple state parks nearby, multiple acts or avenue avenues to nature within, you know, a 20 to 30 minute drive from most of your houses that you can just pack up your stuff and go camp in the woods or, you know, go go rent a cabin or something. And I always thought that was really cool because growing up, I, you know, I'm not very outdoorsy myself, but I think that having that option was really interesting for people that wanted to get into that. Yeah. The, the I mean, thank God uh, the people of South Jersey were overruled because the people of South Jersey actually voted in like 1915 to not allow the state to purchase the Wharton tract, which was over a hundred thousand acres uh, by Joseph Wharton, the businessman. His whole scheme was to buy up the land and the water rights and pump all that water into Philadelphia. Um, but the people of South Jersey were afraid of state rule um, and they voted against that. But um, about 40 years later in the 1950s, 54, 55, the, the state actually acquired that in a, 
that became the big, you know, the heart of that Pine Barrens. And there's so much, like you say, canoeing, kayaking. Uh, I mean, it's a world heritage section today. So it's the world looks when they, you know, pull up the uh, UNESCO website and they look at heritage sites, the Pine Barrens is there. And people from all over the world come to the Pine Barrens to look in a, whether it be the flora or the fauna. Uh, I'm really, I've got the botany bug um, during this research. Uh, the pineys themselves, so the big thing was the piney crafts, 101 items of the Richardson calendar. That uh, was part of the dry flora industry. Um, so I know all those plants by heart and I can see them and identify them. And as I was going through the research for the book, discovered all these rare orchids and these plants that are cannibals, you know, they are carnivorous, the pitcher plants and the, and the, uh, and the sundews and stuff like that. It's every turn and you just got to get out of your car and just go left or right. There's something beautiful to see. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And I hope that that's something that people take away if they do choose to pick up the book, because um, I was taking a look at your Instagram right before the show and you post a lot of just shots of nature. And to think that that is in a lot of people's backyards, they might not even know about it. You know, they can get out there and explore that themselves um, is, is really cool. I think. <laughs> yeah. And, that, the, um, and so the traditional piney, right. When they were going to do that, uh, make it a pineless reserve, uh, the first one in the nation, the only one in the nation, the pineless national reserve. Congress sent out a group, a huge team of people to actually identify what the culture was, what the local traditions were. Um, and those people went out and interviewed people and what was the, the quintessential, what is it to be from this area? What is, what is a piney and that kind of stuff? And, you know, they identified people that were close to the land um, and they lived cyclically with the seasons um, and they were able to go out in the woods and collect all these different plants and sell them to the dry flora industry or go pick wild huckleberries, which is a type of blueberry. But uh, today, uh, I, I love the fact that um, my second book really focuses on teaching kids this. You can walk out in the woods and touch a plant, um, say cotton, uh, tawny cotton grass, which is a common name today. And pineys call it cat's paw. But when you touch that, you're touching the pineys of old. You're touching that history of the people that went out there and harvest these things, uh, whether it was a tough or hard life to do, to do the things that they did, they lived closest to the land. Um, they lived off the grid, as we like to say today. They knew medicinal uses and uh, edibles of the different plants. Uh, so they were very close to nature. And I don't know, most of the nation is trending to want to go back to living that way. I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it, you know, and nature itself is cyclical, right? Things are, things grow, things die. And, you know, you phrasing it as, you know, touching a plant, you're connecting with either your ancestors or people that have passed away. I think that that's really beautiful. And I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people can get a lot from nature just by, by being in it, right? You can feel, you know, it's almost as if the plants can speak to you sometimes. Do you, do you agree with that? I do agree with that. That's beautifully said. So when, as a, as you're writing the book, do you find that, you know, you can, you can go off into nature and it sort of centers you for writing? So, uh, if you follow my Facebook page, Pine Tribe or Instagram, uh, I mean, I can take an image that I took from being out, out in the wild. I can write a short essay. Um, and sometimes people say it moves into tears. Um, just, just seeing or being around nature, especially the pine barrens, um, it's my muse. 
Um, it really is. My, my wife is my, uh, she's my greatest critic. Um, and she centers me and holds me true. Um, but when I'm in the woods, uh, my other mistress is the Pine Barrens and she inspires me to do all this crazy writing to, uh, all these different crazy ideas I have reciting poetry, my favorite poetry and Pine Barrens and stuff like that. Um, all these things that are difficult to me cause I'm an extreme introvert, um, to begin with, uh, I'm the one in the Myers Briggs uh, workshop who's always the one on the far left and nobody else is around me. I'm over there for the longest before I get to move across with the rest of the uh, extroverts and the introverts. Uh, But so all these things that I'm flexing and doing, writing and talking and and stuff like that, it's it's really my passion to get people to recognize the New Jersey Pine Barrens for what it is. Um, The greatest part of our state's Top affiliate, you know, the, the area plus the history. The history of the piney is not told um, uh, in the light that I wrote in, in New Jersey's Lost Piney Culture. It's part, it's the green strand that should be in the historical tapestry of New Jersey, and it's not. Um, you can't find a piney museum anywhere. Um, the, the genesis or the reason why I wrote the book to answer the question, what is a piney? People continue to ask that every day because there is no really state mandated guidance on what that culture really was. Um, yes, we put the fence around it. And after that, they just simply, the Pilots Commission is managing it. Uh, I would say less for the people and more for the flora and fauna. And I, I, you can't forget without the people, there is no pine parents. Um, and the people of the pines wouldn't be pineys without the pine parents. It's a very closely knit, uh, thing you can't pull them apart yeah they're they're inextricably linked and i think that that's really neat uh we it's really cool having that locally um so we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more of a community affair Welcome back, everyone, to A Community Affair. My name is Sam Whalen, and today I'm speaking with William Lewis, the author of New Jersey's Lost Piney Culture. So getting right back into it, you know, we we kicked off the show uh, talking about the, the darker aspects of the history that you cover in the book. But there's also a section of the book, a decent section, dedicated to piney bumper stickers. And I thought that they were really cool. Um, so what's it like for you, uh, you know, doing this research when you see a piney bumper sticker out in the wild? Is that a... Is that something that excites you, seeing this this representation on someone's car? So the, uh, before I was saying, you know, this this book was almost like a personal, um, it was been a journey of mine to rediscover uh, my own piney roots. Um, they even be able to say I use the word and claim it for my own um, and to feel that sense of pride and connection to my history because uh, we did not really have that in my family growing up. It wasn't something that we talked about us being pineys or anything. But I do always remember my grandmother who lived into her 80s. Uh, uh, her maiden name was a Briton. She was a Lewis married to my grandfather, uh, my dad's mother. She always on her car would have a bumper sticker that said, I'm proud to be a piney from my nose down to my hiney. And I never really got it that uh, why she, I mean, uh, I know my dad bought her several cars uh, over the years. And she would, first thing she would do would put that bumper sticker on there. Um, and she was a true Chatsworth, Browns Mills gal, even though my parents moved to New Egypt and uh, she lived with my parents uh, all through my high school years. She was always going back to Browns Mills in the Chatsworth area. That's where she grew up. That's where she was from. 
she lived and breathed, uh, breathed the Pine Barrens, you know, and she loved it so much. So the bumper stickers, every time I see it, it reminds me of my grandmother, but it also reminds me of, you know, uh, one of the, my purposes of writing this book. I'm doing a one-hour documentary on uh, some of the main themes of the book is to get people that might be from the area um, for generations like myself, and they're not connected to their history at all. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really beautiful message. I mean, one of the reasons I love doing this show, it's, you know, it's a community affair. I talk to people in the community and, and you know, they share their passions. And I think that you're a, a wonderful example of that. You know, I was very, you know, the most I knew about the culture was from what I read in the book. So hearing you speak about it is is awesome. And I hope that, you know, anyone listening would feel a similar way that, you know, if they didn't know too much about it, or maybe they unfortunately do have some of those negative stigmas, that that hearing how passionate you are is really going to maybe change their mind or open up their horizons to this entire culture. Yeah, you think, so use me as an example. I don't want to talk about myself, but so me, right? If I, uh, everything that the science was true back then, that if a piney, weds a man and a woman, two pineys to get together, their children will be feeble-minded. They won't, they'll be below average. They'll not test well in school and they really should be sterilized and not be able to propagate because the whole eugenics thought process back then was that we don't want them to be more wards of the state. Um, if any of that was true and me being from multiple generations on both sides of my family of pineys, you know, I've been to the Horn of Africa I've been to England, uh, Marine Corps had me travel around the, the Japan, Korea. Um, uh, you know, I've actually founded the New Jersey 501c3 nonprofit, uh, ran that for eight years. I sat on executive board of directors for a lot of uh, different nonprofits uh, in the environmental community. I sat in my own local townships, uh, chairman of the local Plumstead Township Environmental Commission. Um, there's multiple tr- projects that I can actually see m- my hand on inside the community. Uh, but I mean, how could a country bumpkin, you know, and I graduated from, I, I left BCC, Burlington County College, got my associates and went on to Ryder University, but I shouldn't even be able to get that far because I can't count two plus two and get five, you know, because I'm a piney. Yeah, definitely. I think that you, uh, you're a fantastic example of why that the, those types of sciences are, especially looking back at it now, they just seem it seems so incredulous that people would ever think that way. You know, people are, I personally, you know, people are people and you know, it's, it's difficult when, once you start, you know, thinking in that, that negative scientific way, you can really do a lot of damage. And clearly that damage, you know, you, you talk about that in the book, that damage is still being felt today. Stephen Gold, uh, a writer and author himself. Um, he wrote, he wrote about specifically about this, uh, in one of his books, The Mismeasure of Man was. And uh, he had said that um, that whole movement was really about not simply saying these kids, they're bad in testing and they, they, they're, they're classified as these degenerates, right? These feeble-minded, it was idiot and then moron, right? Two different levels. Those were actually levels inside of science back then. Um, but it was really about not associating those group of people that we that label on those people were the people that were more likely to have kids out of wedlock or more likely to steal your car or more likely you know to cause commotions in the neighborhood whether it be stealing or vandalizing they were the immoral people because we put that label on them and because we're educated you know and we come from a good family 
we're not, we could never do that type of stuff. Yeah. I think it, you know, it's, it's that, that dangerous, you know, slope of when you start generalizing people and you start using, you know, fake sort of sciences, like you said, to marginalize people even further. I think it can, it, well, it has led to a, you know, down very dangerous paths. Uh, so sort of wrapping up the show here, uh, what are what was there is there anything else you'd like to add uh, for anyone that might be listening that might be hesitant or uninformed in general and would like to know more about the the Pine Barrens culture? Uh, definitely join if you do social media. Facebook has some wonderful Pine Barrens groups um, where people share their their knowledge and photography and stuff like that. Um, read books, right? My book's a great example. But um, so like I have an ultimate arching goal. You know, I'd like to have my book sit on the governor's desk, whoever the governor is at the time. It's like that's one of my mission on my built my chalkboard um, to have that person read it and actually issue a proclamation to the people of South Jersey, apologizing to people that consider themselves pineys that the the highest office in the state was used against them. Um, that's one, and then two is actually get a state somehow sponsored piney museum where people can go and actually see it and, and feel it and understand that there's so much history and pride that I wish I was a piney and grew up in this area. I mean, a piney's gave us the blueberry of today. Without a piney, finding the plant, the wild plant, um, Elizabeth White, who uh, her, her father owned a farm at White's Bogs, Browns Mills, New Jersey. And she's the person that hybrid, helped hibernize the blue, common blueberry today that we have across the nation. Without the piney, though, she would never have had the plant that actually went on to be the, the parent plant of all blueberries. So there's so much to be proudful of, of in South Jersey. Um, when they say the state of New Jersey is technically two states still, North Jersey and South Jersey, I really feel South Jersey has so much to offer the rest of the state when it comes to the garden part of the state um, and the places to escape. Um, New York City and Philadelphia residents, they understand and know that let's escape the Sweetwater for the weekend down in South Jersey. And um, it's a wonderful respite to the city dwelling. So they know it. I wish the rest of the state would know it as well. Absolutely. I, I agree with that as well. You know, sitting with you today, learning about uh, the culture, it's it's really cool being from the state my whole life, learning more about it every day. And I think that that is exactly you know, what you're, what you're shooting for here. And it's been, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. I really appreciate it, Sam. No problem. And thank you uh, everyone at home for listening. Uh, I will see you next time on a community affair. You've been listening to a community affair with your host, WGLS FM public affairs director, Sam Whalen. Be sure to join us on the third Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. as we discuss the important issues that impact you and our community. Only here on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.